0: you're listening to unfiltered we bring you interviews from around the world to share interesting perspectives and discussions on forced displacement my name is Rez gardi from the center for asia pacific refugee studies based at the university of auckland in new zealand today we have a very special guest we're talking to rana ahmad she is an author a woman's rights activist and a speaker she fled from Saudi Arabia in 2015, and her journey took her through Turkey, Greece, and then the Balkan route to Germany, where she now lives. Um, hi, Rana. How are you? Thank you for joining us. Hello. Thank you
1: for inviting me. I am happy to be with you and make this conversation. You know, I, I love you and I love everything you do.
0: <laughs> Thank you so much. I'm also a big fan of your uh, activism for women's rights. So I'm very excited to have this conversation um, with you. Um, so I guess let's start from the beginning, you know, where are you from? Where were you born? Okay, uh, my,
1: my father, he, he lived in Saudi Arabia since uh, 50 years. He's is original from Syria, but he traveled to Saudi Arabia to work. And then he married my mom and we I born in Saudi Arabia. And I was there with uh, really a religion education. You know, in Saudi Arabia, they start with uh, seven or yeah, six or seven years to give a religion for their children there. Um, my childhood was like normal because, you know, um, I didn't really understand what's going on or why the world is like this way, but I believe like everything it's like here, like in my home and everything work like this way. And the women living in all the world, like my mom, and they covered themselves and this stuff. Um, until, yeah, um, until I start to, to read about um, atheism and we- human rights and women rights, I, and start to read uh, about everything. And I start to change my um, my thing, and I start to wake up. I, I I I I I give the name for this period where I was like really believing in the Islam and believing in this world. I, I I call it like I was in a coma, because I didn't really realize how the world it could be different. And then when I start to read, I was like twenty six years.
0: Right. So, so for much of your earlier life, um, you were living in what you've um, described as a coma, uh, living in uh, what had really been planned for you and, and abiding by um, the requirements around you. Can you tell us a little bit about, you know, what life was in a you know, normal week, for example, um, for you growing up in Saudi Arabia?
1: Um. I start to wear a headscarf when I was uh, 11 years. And from this uh, age, I didn't allow to leave the house alone. Uh, Someone need to be with me. And then I start to cover my face and my body um, when I was uh, 14 years old. And um, in this age, um, I was all the time at home and I only allowed to go to the school. My father bring me to the school and bring me back to home. Um, Yeah, it was like I was all the time at home. Only I am allowed to go where my family allowed me to go.
0: Right. And um, what about, you know, what was school like for for you? Who were you surrounded by? You know, what kind of relationships did you have with other people?
1: Um, At school, I feel like... um, Everything, it's like normal, everything fine. I see the girl in the school and I have like a close friend, um, her name is Nona. And we was really close and I was very excited to go to school and meet her and do our homework together. It, I was like a little happy uh, dimension from my belt, if I can say it like
0: this. So um, at this stage, everything seems normal to you um, and you thought this is what everyone does. You know, what What else did you see at this age that you now think about um, as being, you know, something that was different or unique to the situation that you were living in for women?
1: woman? Um, when I start to see that my brother allowed to go to visit his friend and I am not allowed then I start to think maybe because I am a girl, maybe it's something not good to be a girl in this world. You know, I start this blaming myself, but not really strong um, like in the other age. Um, I, I feel like why uh, I need to cover my face and the other uh, young uh, people, they didn't do that. Only the woman, only the girl. Why the man, they didn't do that. I was like a little bit uh, naive in
0: my uh, thinking way, yeah. What age was it that you started exploring the outside world? And you know what? What did you find? What did you read about? I think before that, I need to to mention
1: that I am um, like survived from two honor killing, happened to me. Um, um, you know, um, I will describe some something. Maybe it will be like really emotion for some people uh but why it was like something important for me you know if the person be near to to die or the person like see her, himself like in the situation i will be killed a 100 percent i feel like why i need to to face this reality and i feel like um, even if there is God or not, uh, why the other people allowed ha- that to happen to me? You know, I feel like really I am weak. I can't do anything. And I, be- I start to have depression after that and trauma and things, you know, that. But I didn't have any therapy. Um, when I was 26 years old, I, I read something about atheists. I have Twitter account, Uh, his name was Arab atheist and this word, it doesn't give me any meaning. I didn't know what what that mean or how it could be people living with us. They didn't believe in any God. You know, the education system and the family and the society there really keep you um, out from everything can make you thinking or to see the world different. And yeah, from this age, I start to read like uh, crazy. You know, sometimes I read uh, uh, 300 uh, pages from book for three or four days because I start to to realize everyone lying and I need to know uh, what's going on, how the world uh, works, what does it mean to have rights and why that happened to me. You know, I feel uh, unjust happened to me. And until now, I feel I can't, like, banish uh, anyone from the police or doing anything against what happened to me in, in my past. Um,
0: and that's why maybe I am really active now in women's rights. Yeah, um, and I, just to take you back a little bit, you mentioned a little bit about honor killings. Um, unfortunately, this is a very sad reality for a lot of women in um. I mean, I can speak about the Middle East because I have knowledge, um, perhaps in other parts of the world too, but it's really common in in the Middle East. Um, Do you, for our listeners perhaps who don't have much experience or knowledge about um, honour killings, could you please tell us a little bit about this practice in Saudi Arabia, you know, why it happens and, um, you know, really just who was involved and what it's about? Honor killing when, uh, when the
1: country or when the government allowed the family members to kill them sister and not doing anything uh, against that. And with me, it was like in 2013, uh, my brother, he think like I have relationship with someone because he bought a, a voice machine to take my voice. Um And he listened to one conversation that I took with my colleague in the work and I was laughing and it was for him enough to to, to plan how he would to kill me. (coughs) And I was like like really naive. I was completely like a little baby from my mind. I I mean, it was like a normal day. It was like Friday and my mom cook and you know, from the Arab culture the people like Friday eat together. And he was look to me like really different and aggressive. I didn't think he would do anything with me because we eat together. It was like everything was normal. And I go to my room and he come after me and he told me you have relationship. You are like shit. And he start to hit me and he try uh, to make me not breathing. And then I start to shout and my father come and he saved my life in this moment. And when my father take him out from the room, um, I try to kill myself because it was like really painful um, that to happen to me. And I feel like um, I don't care about this world because this world didn't care about me. And I want to leave. And um, I cut my hand and then I blew a lot. And my father, he come to my room and he see me. And I remember my mother told him, don't get her to hospital because I don't want my son, my son anything to happen to him but my father took me to the hospital and yeah it's like not really how I took the, the, the honor killing experience it's like some something strong blind, uh, like he was staying in, in the woman until she died because you have trauma from this ex- experience and you will come to see like a flashback if you don't have the therapy and yeah i think um this uh, where i will i hope to be active in the future i will not allow anyone to kill any woman in this world and i feel like i can achieve that that if i yeah become more active and politic also active
0: yeah that's a very um difficult experience um i'm so sorry Mm -hmm. for that uh, it is. It really comes from this concept where the men in these societies believe that they have control and rights over the woman and her body and her decisions, and um, the women are seen as property. And so, um, this really concept comes from such a misogynistic um, uh, perspective that that someone can kill someone because they didn't like whatever they were doing, whether it's bringing shame to the family by having a relationship or um, doing a certain act or behaviour, just that, yeah, it's a very, very very crazy concept to me that someone, even if whatever has happened, whatever the woman has done, that anyone in her family thinks that they have control over her life. Um, But unfortunately, yeah, it's happening a lot um, around us as well. Um, what do you think needs to happen in terms of uh, protection against honour killings, uh, you know, to change? Um, I know in some countries it's it's legal and in some countries it's a banned practice, but um, police don't really interfere because they see it as a domestic matter. So in your activism, you know, what is the message um, to end honour killings? You know, what do we have to achieve
1: I was planning in, in my mind, you know, I, I have like this ability to make like solution for every problem I, I face. And I, I was thinking if I am a woman in, in, in Middle East or in Muslim country and I, I feel like my brother or my uh, uh, brother or my uh, father or my husband, maybe he will kill me. I need to go to ask help. But in our country, where the women can go because the the government they doesn't have the women there. And I was, if I have like contact with the United Nations, I want to start to build like a protect a, a building or protect a house for women. And, and, and with the uh, protection also from United Nations, because if if we are not able to help them to change them reality, at least at least we can put people in them country from United Nations to help the women to be safe until we solve her situation there. And that's why I I feel like I I am like since three years active helping women to run away because no one there no one there in them country to protect them. And the police, they don't protect them. And the society, they don't protect them. What we need to do then, then we we need to go there, we start to build protection house for women or children also, because we don't need to forget the uh, sexual abuse for children. You know, if we don't start to be active in this way and in this level, we can really achieve a, a really big difference for the reality.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, and I have read about some of the work that you are doing, helping other women get to safety. Um, so could you share a little bit about you know what that involves and um, what kind of uh, assistance you can provide to these women who are in the kind of situations that you were in previously? You know, What's happening in that regard?
1: Uh, because, you know, I start to tell the people about my story and I am a social media activist and the women know my story and some of them, they get the power to do it also. And I get to start to feel like I am responsible a little bit because I feel like if I didn't put my story in social media, maybe this woman, they don't run away because it's not easy for them to run away and not easy to have information how I can do it. And it's not easy to have sometimes um, financial uh, support for them. And in the cases where I start to work in this, uh, um, uh, with this uh, uh, topic, um, I start to, to, com- to communicate to other organizations and everywhere in this world. And I need to find human rights activists also to support this woman. Then I have, uh, I, I, I am co-founder fa- for organization here in Germany, Atheist Refugee Relief, uh, where we're helping also the women and atheists and ex-Muslim uh, refugees in Germany. And because I have organization now, I start to contact some politic in the uh, German government to help in some cases if I can. Um, you know, I feel every woman like talk to me and she needs my help. I feel like a little bit she is like, I want fr- from us is a free woman needing support from free woman. And for me, like I doing all my best to be like 100 uh, percent. She is safe now and she gets her process for asylum. And sometimes, yeah, I give like support letter from uh, my organization to them, like to support uh, them cases when they suck asylum in Germany or in anywhere from this world. Yeah.
0: Yeah, that's a very important and powerful work. Um, I guess we we went a little bit ahead and um, we because I was so interested in, in the work that you were doing in the um Uh, describing helping other women, but I guess I just want to take a step back because you were explaining to us um, your own journey, and I think that's really important, um, your your own journey, to how that has shaped who you are today and why you're doing this very important activism. And so um, you were telling us that around your mid-20s you started reading a lot of books and opening your eyes up to the worlds beyond your borders, Um, So tell us a little bit about, you know, how did you feel? What were you reading? Um, What questions you had? And
1: this time, you know, when I start to believe everything lying and my reality is not true, I start to read like crazy to to open my mind and to open the eyes from my mind also in the other world and and in the other fact. Uh, It was in the beginning I read the book from Richard Dawkins, uh, God Delusion. And it was like first book for me because, you know, I was like, I thinking uh, maybe I will find all the answer for my question in this book. But when I read it, I start to have thousands of thousands of questions. I was searching to prove that my religion, my religion is right. And I I am not like also no one lying with this, uh, with this uh, uh, belief. Um, when I start to read philosophy, I start to read from Voltaire, John Jacques Rosso, uh, Nietzsche, uh, Kant. Uh, yeah. And I start to read also about physics and I start to understand how the universe or, or the universum uh, in the beginning was. And I start to realize that there is like fact from science. It's not much the fact in the Quran or in, in Islam about how Allah created this world. And I was like, I feeling like I am more like science. Uh, if I didn't approve it in science, you can't tell me that in another book because you create this idea and you can't prove it because I can also create an idea and believe in, and but I can't prove it to you. So uh, philosophy and physique, and I read also from Darwin, uh, it was like all the signs together make sense for me. It was like it's it's more true than the story I hear it from Islam and from Allah. And it was us beginning like not you wake up in the next day and you find yourself atheist. It's not like this way. Uh, I, I take like one year. Reading a lot of books, sometimes reading also books from Quran, from Islam, and I read also Quran. I start to to to, to like make um, myself free to choose and know what's really going on. And after this year, I realized also that for me, um, I also the idea that there is God is not logical. It's not make sense for me. And I become like I feel like I am atheist, and I feel like um, because I become an atheist, because like um, I feel like I am more free to decide what I mean I need to do in my life. Uh, From Islam, you feel like you are under control because if you don't do what your father or mother say, you you make Allah like uh, angry from you. And for me. (laughs) It's like Islam, it's like only to control people, especially women. And when I become an atheist, I feel like, okay, I need to help myself to get out from here. Because like, if I stay here, I will not have any future. I will not study physics. I will not do anything from my dream because my family not allowed me to travel or not allowed me to do some, some stuff there. And, yeah, I was planning since three or two years before I did it. And it was, like, not easy to to have this decision. I will leave my family. I will leave everything, and I want to be free. It's not easy, especially for the women living in the Middle East or in this world, because we're growing up that we are really uh, needing our family, and we didn't imagine ourselves without our family.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's um, very moving. Um, and, and during this time that you were reading and questioning the reality around you, um, did you talk to anyone? You know, what happened during that journey? Was there anyone that you could question and uh, seek advice from? Or were you too scared to let anyone know? Uh,
1: because I am in Saudi Arabia and I know if anyone knowing that I am atheist, I would be get killed from the government because I leave Islam. It was really dangerous to communicate with anyone, for, for myself and also for this person. I only found this uh, account, Arab atheist, and I start to ask question, and he told me, I can't tell you, I, I couldn't tell you what's the truth, you need to search alone. And he, he is an atheist, a Saudi atheist man, Uh, living in Saudi Arabia, having children. And he told me my children, they will be like free children also. And I was like having respect to him. He is like, it was like for me, like the the true relationship between the family and the children. Um, And I start to search more about um, ex-Muslim or atheist community in an internet. And I found atheist Republic. And it was like uh, amazing idea that maybe there is a republic for atheist people, (laughs) I didn't know. But it was like seeing the photo from atheist from different country, like sending them photo to this page. It's like, make me happy, like I am not alone. Because you feel like you are really alone. You are alone because no one know how you think. You are alone because you are not allowed to describe your feeling. Or to cry or saying I don't go, I don't want to go to Mecca or something like this. I was like living four or three years, lying to my family or, or also for society and being someone different from inside. Um and planning to leave Saudi Arabia, it was not only for freedom, it was only for, also for my rights. I am human. And if I am, um, if I didn't have my rights, I didn't want to live in this world. And I was like doing plan uh, A, plan B, plan C, plan D, plan F, plan like um, a lot of plan because I want to be sure that I live. And it was like the last plan. I will kill myself if I am not succeed. Um, I start to be contacting with other people from uh, organization and activists because I don't know if you know that I published photo. In 2014, I was inside Mecca, Al-Kaaba, and I do photo. uh, I write Asayist Republic and I take this photo and I send it to them and it was like shouting like i am suffering i am uh, my mother forced me to go there and i feel i am completely alone around me around me was like three millions muslim and i was from inside atheist i didn't believe in anything from that and i was like it was my way to shout And from this photo, I start to be uh, in contact with other organizations and the people start to ask what you are doing in Saudi Arabia if you are not a Muslim. And yeah, and I was successful to mark my plan from Saudi Arabia, Turkey and then illegal to Germany.
0: What was that journey like? I mean, it must have been very scary to make the decision, you know, and you mentioned you had like plan A, plan B, plan C, and, and uh, it shows how desperate you were for your rights, to fight for your rights, that you were willing to, uh, you know, do whatever it takes. So what did that journey involve? Um, You know, what was it like the day that you decided to leave? How did you do it? Um, Yeah, it's just, I'm sure there are a lot of people out there who are in a similar situation, but they have not yet made that decision to uh, flee or to leave for their lives and to fight, and so you know what what is it like? What was it like the night before? What was it like the day you woke up? And how did you decide?
1: Um, it was like uh, I am running out of the time. My passport will it end, will end in two thousand fifteen in the end in December two thousand fifteen, and if I am not doing that before this time, I will stuck in Saudi Arabia because. The Syrian embassy is closing in Saudi Arabia, and I can renew really know my bus there in Saudi Arabia. Um, and I decided to do that in the summer from 2015. It was like normal day. My father took take, take me to the work, and in the when he was crossing the street, he said, I will bring you coffee and some croissant. And I was looking to him, you know, I want to hug him. I want to cry, but I need to behave normal because I, I want to escape today. Um, and I told you before that, I didn't have also, I didn't take anything from my stuff because I am going to work and my family thinking I am going to work. And I was like uh, saying my mom, like give her bye-bye from my eyes. She was sleeping and I told her, I hope you will be fine. And I closed her door and like, going out, see my father and then take the stuff from him and go to the work. And I see my father for the last time. And I told him, I love you. And yeah, forgive me for that. And then I call a taxi and the taxi come to my work and I changed my abaya and my my clothes and i have new abaya because the person who protects this school he know my abaya and he know me and i don't want anyone to know me i want to run away and uh, my father leave my work and then i take the taxi and i go to the airplane and yeah i was sitting there like i was completely like in panic and i was like imagine my brother here and I hear his, 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 the him voice like it was completely crazy moment when I leave Saudi Arabia. And I said, even if I die tomorrow, I try to be free, uh, you, free woman. I'm trying to be a free person. And it was for me like um, really difficult that I, I choose to leave everything to be free. But it was like the freedom deserve that. When like why now like experience something here in Germany, I write that also in my. Uh, I will make it like book. Uh, book, um, yeah. I feel like even what happened to me, like I feel I am happy because I am free.
0: Yeah, that really wow. It's just very emotional. I listening to you and describe. The last day that you were there and decided to leave, it really gave me shivers because I was just thinking, you know, all the things that must have been running through your mind and how scared you must have been. But, you know, how strong to, to decide that despite everything that you want to fight for your rights. Um, and so tell us what happened next. You know, you, you got on a plane and you went to, I believe, Turkey next. Was that right?
1: Istanbul, I was uh, going to Istanbul and uh, when I arrived there, I I removed my abaya and my niqab and I am uh, like leaving the airplane, going to the street. I stopped there and I start to look to the car, to the people and I start to look to the sun and I I start to look to myself and I realize that I am here without covering myself in the street saying this stuff it was completely like amazing freedom f- uh, feeling um i was completely happy and i start to say it loud i did it i am i am free i did it and i was like in panic in this moment but i didn't realize that was panic because it was completely like other reality and I take a taxi and I go to the hotel and directly I leave Istanbul because I know if my family know that they will come to Istanbul to search where I am. And that's what happened. My brother was like in Istanbul after next day, but I leave Istanbul. I was in Izmir and I, I was like holding there for one month at house because I don't want to be found. And yeah. It was not easy, also, but I was lucky to get contact with Atheist Republic because they opened for me like fund the uh, campaign. And even Richard Dawkins, he like shared this tweet, and I get like five thousand dollars from atheist people all the world from all the world. And I was like looking to the world from first time different, like why someone will care to save my life if I am. I don't know him. I am not from his family. And I start to realize that um, that what's happened to me is like uh, what the human need to do. It's a normal thing. Even if I don't know you, it's like if I can help, I have to help you because... I think the situation from an Arab world and the Muslim society, the women like there need to be support from all the world because you can't like ignore what's going on until now, you know?
0: Yeah, um, absolutely. Um, And there are a lot of women in these situations who um, I'm sure would do anything to leave, but they have barriers, financial barriers or maybe uh, safety or security issues that they cannot even leave to, get, for example, catch a taxi or get help or something that they're absolutely imprisoned in their lives. So there is a lot of, um, a lot of things that we need to do to be able to help these women access safety. Um, and, and you spent one month in as mayor and, you know, did you know what your family were doing? Did you know they were looking for you? What was going on?
1: Um, I didn't know anything I was in Izmir like holding uh, staying there but I was not like really imagined that my brother will come to Turkey to search where I am it was like this information I become like after six or seven months that I am not in Saudi Arabia like my sister sent me like email after I do this interview with Jafar Uh, talk because i said for all the world why i i was uh, running and my family they think i ran away because i have someone or i am in love with, with someone but from this interview they realized that i am like atheist and that's why i live because i want to be free and my sister write me like uh, after this interview, I hate you. Don't talk to me. You are not my sister anymore. And she told me, I hope that my brother found you when he was in Turkey after you escaped. Like he was there for one month. And then I was like, you know, I plan everything correct because I know he will come to Istanbul to look who I, where I am. And that's why I make a plan to go to Izmir. And I was like trying to travel to the world legally. I try to have visa for to America and I'm trying to have visa to Germany. I try to do something there to not go illegally because it's not something the person doing that like was uh, and you know, it's some something really hard to do that, um, also like a woman. Um, but yeah, I did it and I am happy that. Um yeah here had-
0: yeah absolutely um it, sometimes when people cannot find legal means then they have to find illegal ways to get to safety and that is the case for so many asylum seekers and refugees around the world that take very risky journeys to reach safety um and so tell us a bit about the next part of your trip you know after turkey where did you go what was your journey like um how did you reach safety in germany how long did it take
1: it um, was, I stay in, in Turkey uh, for uh, six or uh, seven months, and then in the end of 2015, I start to move from Izmir to um, uh, Grecian land, and uh, then um, this trip, you know, to to put yourself in dangers because you are a woman or because you are ex-muslim or because you are an atheist when the boat like crossing turkey to the atina um uh, to no it, i didn't remember the name from the where i i was in the greece uh, but i think it's the yeah it takes 2 hours from turkey to uh, uh to greece and i was in the middle of the sea and i was looking around me and i was like completely angry why i need to put my life here why i need to be killed to be a free woman and when i crossed the sea i was like uh, going to macedonia serbia Slovakia, and then uh Austria, and then germany uh it takes two two weeks to cross all that. We take like a train, I take train. I was with a group, we taking a train, we taking a car, we taking like a bus and this stuff. And in this time, like was United Nation uh, manage that because before that happened like uh, kidnapping for the refugee. And after that, the United Nation decide to control this way for refugee. And it, I was lucky in this in this time to do it in this time. And I arrived to Germany in the beginning 2016, and I start to contact other ex-Muslim and uh, uh, organization because I found myself in the refugee camp where the people look to me like different because I don't cover myself and I look like Arabic woman and um, some. Um, radical Muslim people start to tell me why you didn't uh, cover yourself, are you a Christian or are you, and then uh, the problem starts there and and I didn't accept that anymore because I, I risk everything to be free and I will not allow anyone to describe me because how I look or because uh, about what I believe Um, and I met uh, Mina Ahadi, she is an Iranian woman rights activist in Germany she makes like a conference or event for me and I start to talk about my story and like to talk to the people said what why I am in Germany and I some people heard my uh, my video and he he helped me to get out from the camp having like my apartment and starting my life in Germany.
0: I really I I really can imagine the journey and what you've been through to reach safety in Germany. Um, but you know, I'm very, very happy that you did because you contribute so much, and you're now fighting for the rights of so many women. And so, the world absolutely needs you and more women like you to stand up to these um, these regimes and these um, you know these societies that control and diminish women's rights. Um, so, you know, what has your life been like since you arrived in Germany? Uh, what have you been doing? How do you feel? You know, how did that moment feel when you Started a new chapter of your life in Germany.
1: Uh, it's freedom feeling. Uh, alone when I wake up and I realize that I am in Germany and I didn't want, I didn't need anymore to be free because I am a woman or because I am an ex-Muslim or because I, I am anything. I feel like I am. I am proud about what I, I achieve and I was like happy. Everything I experienced something new. Everything like it was like for me the world, it was like um having a baby six years uh, for the first time in Disneyland. It was like like this for me. Um I start to learn the language because I know it's important if I want to study or, or if I want to be active, I need to, to speak German. And from 2016, I need to wait one year until they get my asylum process. And then I get to uh, the beginning of 2017, I start to learn German. And I start to ask about university, how I can make my paper and what I need to do. And I have uh, write uh, with another women book uh, about my story, Women Not Allowed to Dream Here. And it's this book in German and France and other language. Um, and uh, like co founder for SAS Refugee Relief in 2018. And I have like one year's volunteer work with the road Cross uh, uh, Germany. And yeah, and this year I will start my math- uh, mathematics uh, uh, st- 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 studio, yeah.
0: Congratulations that sounds amazing um, and yeah very very important all the work that you're doing but also focusing on yourself because now that you're somewhere where you have the freedom to study and to work and to pursue your dreams it's important to do that for you but also for everyone that looks up to you like a role model and is um, inspired by your work um, and so you know what what now that you've um, reached safety in Germany, you've begun your life and you know, you're pursuing your dreams and keeping up the work and your activism, what are your projects that are coming up? What kind of work will you be doing?
1: I hope that I will get, again, invited by the One World Young Summit because like, I have important project to start it from there. Um, now I am helping the women inside Germany and outside. And sometimes I, knew, I use my apartment for them. Sometimes I use my money. Sometimes I use my all my time to, to like achieve some cases. And I feel like I am stressed all the time. I need to get support from the government here in Germany. Or I need to get support from the people around the world. If no one doing this work, at least supporting the people they do this work. Um, I was like having burnout all the time because, like, I do my life, I do my stuff, and uh, uh, the same times I am helping another woman or another people. And because what I am doing from this work, all, the wa- all that was like volunteering. Um, I am now trying to find a work to start work also to because i want to be a german i want to have a german nationality um i feel like i am sorry if i leave this work who will do who will do it you know i am like a little bit in this world because i see what uh, what i can achieve and i see some women they are happy after they are safe and that gives me like really reason why i i, I need to be active And also my education. I have a lot of projects for education. I want to build school everywhere in this world, a secular school where the children learning science, music, and dance and philosophy and this stuff. You know, if we want to think about our future, we need to think about the children. And the children have the right to have a build uh, have education. And I want to be also uh, be active in that uh, in the future. Uh, giving support for the people they are now in depression uh, free like to get support uh, this other also project and I will be like uh, trying to give this help for the women they are in this country doing that online because I know and, and you, even you know that, that in our culture they don't care about the psychiat- uh, psychiatric uh, health and they don't support that like here in Germany or like in UK
0: yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, there's um, uh, still a very big gap in the lack of understanding in terms of uh, mental health and trauma and psycho- um, psychosocial support. It's still a very taboo in our culture. People don't know how to talk about it. They don't know how to deal with mental health. They don't know how to offer support and services for these kind of issues. Um, so yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm I'm based in the Middle East now, and I'm very, very familiar with these problems. Um, And, of course, you know, it's so vital. You need to look after your own mental health before you can help anyone else. You need to look after your own well-being before you can be of value um, and help others. So it's really critical. Um, So for the people that are listening to us today, what can they do um, to contribute to the causes that you are working on? What kind of support can they give? What do you want to see from ordinary people who um, are listening today?
1: Uh, From my organization, FAS Refugee Relief. If anyone hears that and he needs help, uh, because he gets this, uh, he get in dangers, or he he think maybe he gets killed. He can write me email. You can find my email in fasrefugeerelief I can maybe send you the link for the website. And if anyone want to support my work, he also can support this organization and uh, like be one from us or supports that that fin- financial or like. Even opening like Bart from our, uh, my, uh, this organization in other country, because that also would help. You know, if we, we start to think we need to have like people like us everywhere in this world, then we know that we can support the people everywhere in this world. So we can support the women. So we can support the LGBT community. We can support the children. If we are a group in everywhere in this country and. This like also one idea from me, I hope to be re- really if I am not like working with the United Nations, I need to be doing that, like have a connection everywhere, like being sure there is no one women will need help and no one will help her. You know, because of my story, I feel like I am responsible to not allow that to happen to any women in anywhere in this world. And I, I will give all my energy in the future to sure that will not happen. And yeah, if anyone wants to support us or if anyone needs to, to get help, yeah, he can contact me from uh, the website.
0: Yeah, that's very important. People um, need to know that there are services available and the connections that you have may possibly be life-saving for them. Um, and I encourage anyone listening to buy a copy of uh, Rana's book, Women Aren't Allowed to Dream Here. And um, It's a very powerful and moving book that will enlighten your views in many regards and understand um, how brave and courageous and resilient these women are that choose to fight the system and choose to put their own rights and freedom first. Um, So thank you so much, Rana. Uh, You are such an inspirational, powerful woman. I am always in awe of you. And look forward to hopefully seeing you again at the um, next One Young World. Hopefully we can meet again there and uh, discuss more about the projects that you're doing. And for now, um, if there's anything else you'd like to add.
1: Yes, I want to add something. I want to say for all the women, believe in yourself, even if the reality told you something different. Uh, believe in your power, believe in your in your ability and believe that you can achieve a lot, but you need to hear yourself. And yeah, I hope everyone can live free and safe and have that, uh, the right uh, to education or travel or the normal human rights. And thank you to invite me. I feel also proud to talk uh, with you and I respect everything also you do from work.
0: Thank you. Thank you so much. And thanks for everyone who was listening in. This is Unfiltered. And we were talking to Rana Ahmed. Uh, See you again on the next episode.